Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. Hopefully, you've had a really great weekend and... uh, Yeah, you've got some highlights to share, you know, lots of chatting. So hopefully there were some highlights to share from your your weekend. We had a good weekend. It mainly revolved around like the highlights being food, food related. Like for me and Hannah, the date night that we have every every week is Thursday night. And uh, Friday's like my day off. So Thursday is like Friday. So it's like kind of a little bit mixed up in that sense. So we have date night on a Thursday, but it feels like Friday because it's Thursday. It's the day off. It's Friday, but my date night is Thursday night. Uh, it's like, the, you know, yeah, it's great. Um, so anyway, we were going to go to Smoking V's. Anybody been to Smoking V's? It's a place in Preston. A few people. Not many. Hands? Yeah? Just, just seeing like a few, a few hands there. It's like a, a barbecue, southern style barbecue. We were going to go there on Thursday night. Uh, we've been loads of times, but we heard on the grapevine that like our brother-in-law, well, Hannah's, no, both of our brother-in-laws, uh, what? this is confusing, like Hannah's sister is married to this guy called Ed, he's probably in the back somewhere, and, uh, and he is my brother-in-law and Hannah's brother-in-law, but we heard he was going there with his dad, and I don't know about you, but you know when you go to a restaurant and you know somebody else is there, you're a bit like, so we were like, oh, we'll go anyway, we'll go anywhere, uh, anyway. Uh, and then we were, we were walking. We thought, well, should we go for a little stroll before we go to Smoking V's? And then we bumped into Hannah's sister, and I said, oh, Phoebes, where are you going? And then she was like, Smoking V's. I was like, and because I just imagined, like, you know, being sat there, like this Phoebe and Ethan, and there's like Ed and his dad, and then we're in the middle, and it's like, you can't have a, like a proper conversation. Does anybody else know like what I'm, what I'm feeling at that point, okay? So we went for sushi anyway. So we went for sushi. Well, actually, let's just ditch smoking V's, we go sushi, and there's a lovely sushi place by the train station, I can highly recommend it, really, really nice. Of course, I only got like a katsu curry with a fork. I just can't do the chopsticks. I just cannot do that. So I'm the sort of guy that goes to a Chinese restaurant and gets like an omelette with a fork and things like that. But I pushed the boat out. I had a katsu curry. It was really nice. And then we went to Smoking V's actually yesterday for lunch. So, you know, the dream was fulfilled and and it was amazing uh, and things like that. So, yeah, I would really recommend it. Burgers, barbecue, if you're into that kind of stuff. Really, really nice. Uh, And then we went for a little stroll up down the high street. And down the high street, there was kind of a group of Christians preaching kind of on the streets. How do you guys feel about Christians on the streets preaching? Because every time I see like a Christian on the streets preaching, I have this dialogue in my mind. On the one hand, I'm super impressed at the bravery that that person has to stand up and talk about their faith in Jesus. And I also know stories, and you probably do too, of people who have quite powerfully come to faith through that kind of quite upfront, public, standing up there just preaching the gospel stuff. So I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, that is, that is amazing and I've got a lot of respect for that person. 
But then on the other hand as well, I also think, is this really working? Do people really give their lives to Jesus on the streets when they were just going to Primark and not quite expecting it? Do you know what I mean? I can, and does anybody else, hands if you resonate with that kind of battle, you're like, oh, it's so amazing. Oh, that's great. And I always like, you know, they give you a tract and I'm like, I'm already in, man. I'm already in. Just, just keep going. I'll just bless what you're doing. But then also I'm like, is that going to work? Do you know what I mean? Like that tension, I think we all feel it. And I think it segues into Jonah because Jonah essentially was a street preacher. We looked last week about how essentially he was a bad street preacher. But I want you to imagine you're walking down the street in Preston, maybe in the, the flag market, that big square in town. Imagine that there's a, a preacher there and they, they stand up and they give a very simple message. Jesus loves you. Turn to Jesus. And much to your surprise, all of the people in the square, thousands of them gravitate towards this street preacher and what they're saying. And much to your surprise, they actually pray a prayer of commitment and become Christians right there on the spot, thousands of them. And you're just stood off, you're kind of observing from a distance. And you're like, whoa, that is amazing. This guy just jumped up, gave a, a little talk, and then thousands of people just became Christians in the flag market at Preston Minster. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing? But then you go up to the preacher afterwards, and you say to him, wow, that was amazing. You know, this, you just stood up and you preached and Thousands of people have just become Christians. There must be some crazy anointing on your life. And then much to your surprise, the preacher actually is incredibly annoyed that those people have just become Christians. He's like, oh, I did not want any of those people to become Christians. Like, I'm just so angry right now that all of them would just give their life to Jesus. I'm so angry. Well, as absurd as it sounds, if you can imagine that scenario, you're imagining the reaction of Jonah to the people of Nineveh giving their lives to God, turning from their evil and giving their lives to God. So as we jump into chapter four, we are gonna see that that is exactly what's happened. Jonah has just given a street preach and here he is responding. So this is Jonah chapter four. We're gonna read it and then we'll just draw out a couple of things for us to reflect on. Jonah chapter four. Um, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. So he's just preached the people of Nineveh, this kind of evil nation, has turned from their evil and turned back to God in their thousands and it is the like miraculous turnaround. But verse one, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die, for, to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? 
Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and so many animals. Interesting passage. Such an interesting passage. It's one of the few passages that contains worms and a plant being eaten by worms. You never saw that one coming today, did you? Um, but I think the big question that Jonah chapter 4 answers is, what is God's heart towards you? What does God feel about you? What does God think about you? That's the question that's answered as we look at the book of Jonah. We might think that God, God's heart towards us is dependent upon our actions. Most major world religions have this very simplistic system where God bestows favor in kind of sort of, you know, response to good behavior. And God also brings punishment for bad behavior. And there's a kind of balancing out of the two. Most world religions, and if we're honest, on a regular basis, we can operate like that, believing that our good behavior will elicit God's favor and our bad behavior will elicit his disapproval. But what we see in this passage is slightly different. In fact, it's radically different. Let me recap where we are for a moment if you're joining us for the first time this morning. Jonah has been called to go to the great city of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and to preach a message of repentance to that city. He's been sent, the word of the Lord has come to him, but at first in chapter one, he fled. He rejected the call of the Lord, and then he was thrown overboard into the sea where a great whale ate him whole and he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great whale. He prayed, out to, he prayed and called out to God and turned from the way he was headed and turned back to God. God heard his prayer and he was vomited up on the seashore. In chapter three, last week, we saw that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and he went to Nineveh, 
and preached, the, last week we saw, didn't we? Last week he preached the world's worst sermon. He said, repent, Nineveh will be destroyed in 40 days. And much to his surprise, much to his surprise, Jonah, Jonah's message was heard and responded to. And he turned from the way that, they turned from the way they were going. They put on sackcloth and ashes as like an outward sign of a change in their hearts. And they turned to God and they cried out to God. And we see in this passage Jonah's response to that. Jonah's response. First of all, we see Jonah's confession. Jonah's confession. Verse 1 to 5 reads almost like a phone call conversation between Jonah and God where Jonah is just ranting like a bit of a drama king about what has happened. Just read it with me. It's, it's Jonah, and he's talking to the Lord, and he says, this is what I said would happen, Lord. I knew that you were a gracious and a compassionate God. This is what I tried to forestall by turning back and going to run away to a place called Tarshish. I knew that you were a God who was generous and kind and would relent from sending calamity. I knew it, God. I knew you would do this. You see, Jonah's, that's Jonah's confession. That's how he's feeling. As we've seen and said many times, the people of Nineveh had been cruel to Jonah's friends, his family, his people. No doubt Jonah had lost many friends and family members through the cruelty of the Assyrian Empire, the people of Nineveh. So this idea that God would show compassion to them, that God would be gracious to them, is an offense to Jonah. That's his confession. You see, Jonah's heart is the opposite of God's heart. God's heart is a heart of compassion. God is, it says in the scriptures, slow to anger. And we see in this passage that Jonah is quick to anger. It says in the Bible that God abounds in love. But we see in this passage that Jonah is devoid of love. It reminds me of the story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. For those of you who don't know it, there's a son, a younger son who takes his father's inheritance. He goes off to a faraway country and spends his inheritance on wild living, like just parties and all of that stuff. And in, the, in Luke 15, he comes to his senses at some point and he comes back to his, to his father. He turns back to him and his father welcomes him. He throws a party. But also in the story, sometimes we don't dwell upon it. There's an older brother as well. And the older brother had been with the father the whole time. He'd been working on his father's farm. He'd been serving his father. He'd been close to his father. And when this younger brother comes back, his brother, he's so offended that the father would welcome the younger brother that the father would throw a party, that the father would clothe him and give him sandals and a ring and just welcome this younger brother who had, who had gone off and squandered all his inheritance. To the older brother, it's such an offense. And that reminds me of, of Jonah. He considers himself an insider. 
He's the kind of guy that's in church every single Sunday, worshiping. He knows the songs. He knows how to look interested in the talk, but he's not really listening. He knows all of that stuff. He knows how to pray the prayer. He maybe has got a regular daily Bible reading routine. That's Jonah, and that's the older brother. And if you've been in church for a long time, that's a a challenge to you and a challenge to me. It's a challenge to those of us who think we're close to God when really our hearts are hard. Jonah speaks to us like a mirror because, like I said, Jonah is the church kid. And it's so offensive to him that God would forgive other people's sins, that God would welcome the stranger, that God would show his love and his compassion to those people who don't know him. So that's a challenge to us. So we see, first of all, Jonah's confession. Jonah's confession. And there's a particular challenge to us who call ourselves followers of Jesus to have hearts of compassion, not hard hearts. And secondly, what we see is Jonah's education. We see Jonah's education. God asked him this question a couple of times. Is it right for you to be angry, he says. Is it right for you to be angry? In verses five to 11, we see Jonah running away again. He, where does he go? He's been to Nineveh. He's preached the message. Does he hang around to kind of, do you know, like, it's like an altar call, isn't it? It's like I was, if I was to preach here and loads of people came forward and then I just, just walked off or something like that. That's basically what Jonah does. He runs away. He leaves the city. He gets to a place where he can watch what's going on from a distance. And God provides this plant to give shade and it gives comfort to his head and then he's happy. But then the worm comes. God provides the worm, it says. And the worm chews the plant. And then the sun comes and the wind comes and it's just burning his really bald head. I imagine Jonah did have a bald head. I think he did. In all the pictures that I've seen, Jonah had a, a bald head. So anyway, he was particularly prone to a bit of sunstroke. And he was very, very unhappy. The fact that this plant had come and uh, he'd become hot he'd become faint temperatures of about 48 degrees probably in that place and it says again for a second time that he wanted to die Jonah is just so depressed because of what God has done and one of my slight questions as I was reading this passage and this is so interesting if you've got it in front of you And actually, it goes all the way through the book of Jonah. It says, time and time again, the Lord provided. The Lord provided. The Lord provides a wind so that the the boat Jonah was on could kind of be, you know, shaken. Uh, God provides all kinds. He provides the fish to swallow Jonah. God provides the wind to kind of like burn Jonah's head and the, and the sun and the worm to eat the plant. It's interesting, isn't it? And when we think about God's provision, these are not the things we think of. You know, sometimes if you've been in church for a while, we talk about Jehovah Jireh, God's our provider. It kind of rhymes, I always remember it like that. Je- Jehovah Jireh, God is our provider. But I don't know whether we think about these kind of things when we think about God's provision. 
And there's a very complicated theological discussion that we could have. Does God send or allow bad things to happen? We could talk about that. But nonetheless, what I see in this passage is a principle. And the principle is that the hard times, suffering, difficulty produces something. There's something in it that is the Lord's provision, if we will allow it to be. You might know this from your own life. You will grow much more in times of suffering than in times of abundance. You will grow much more in times of difficulty than in times when the sun is shining and everything is going right. It's something to reflect upon. So my question, my challenging question to myself as much as you is, what has the Lord provided to educate you? To Jonah, he provided a plant and then the plant went away. That taught Jonah something. But what has the Lord provided for you? Is it a messy housemate? Is it a noisy neighbor? Is it a difficult work colleague? Is it a health diagnosis that's not looking very promising? What has the Lord provided in order to educate you? to teach you something of how his power is made perfect in weakness, of how he is good all the time, even when the sun is shining, but also in the dark night of the soul, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is good. And sometimes I have this kind of slight fear um, that as, as a church, we can sometimes sell people, not the lie, but the illusion that becoming a Christian will solve all your problems. And I need to be very clear that it won't. Actually, throughout the ages and this, the testimony of many Christians is that it brings with it suffering, persecution, challenge, difficulties that you've got to grapple with. All of the usual struggles of life remain so what has the Lord provided for your, for your education? And the purpose is for you always to become more like Jesus, to experience more joy. It says in the Bible, doesn't it, that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And if God's provided a challenge, an obstacle, some suffering in your life, we can debate till the cows come home about whether God sent it or whether God allowed it or whether it comes from the enemy. But what I do know is that the Lord will use any situation for you to become more like him. And God says, doesn't he, in verse nine, he says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? to kick up such a fuss about a plant that you didn't plant. God says there are 120,000 people in this city who don't know their right hand from their left, and he wants to show compassion. How does Jonah have the right to be angry? You see, Jonah has an attitude of entitlement. He feels entitled to be blessed, entitled to be a recipient of God's goodness. And he doesn't like the idea of other people feeling that and experiencing that uh, as well. So to come back to that question, we asked at the beginning, to come back to that question, what's God's heart towards you? 
What's God's heart towards you? Well, God's heart towards you is one of love. God's heart towards you is to use even the challenging times in your life to make you more like Jesus. You see, his love isn't dependent upon your performance. God loves Jonah and God loves Nineveh. God loves you here. God loves those people out there. God loves you in here and that really horrible like work colleague that you just do not like. God loves that person too. God's heart towards every single person is love. And we see that most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. We've said time and time again in this series that Jonah is a shadow, if you like, of Jesus, a signpost. And what do you do when you see a signpost? You follow that signpost to the destination. And Jonah is here written so that we could be pointed to the person of Jesus Christ. We see the love of God most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. Whatever we've done, whether we've run away like Jonah, whether we're offended at the idea that God might show mercy to somebody else, whatever we have done, God's heart towards us is love. And we see that in the person of Jesus Christ. So there's a challenge for you today. There's a challenge whether you connect more with Jonah or Nineveh, whether you've been in church for years and the idea of God showing his love to somebody out there that you just think is beyond the pale, if you find that offensive, there's a challenge to you because God's love is big enough to reach that person. God's love is strong enough to change that person's life and to bring them to himself. Or whether you connect with Nineveh and you feel like you've just been running away, you feel like you've been separated from God, we see that the invitation is there to every single one of us to turn to him today. God is good all the time. Whether you're going through a difficult season today or whether you're walking in victory every single day this, in this season, God is good. He loves you and he loves his world. And he's called you to be light, to be a beacon of his hope and his goodness in the world. That person that's in your life that you just see as a huge problem and you're praying for God just to remove and get out the way, like move the mountain, Lord. Remove the mountain of the annoying colleague or the noisy neighbor. Well, could that person actually be someone God's placed in your life, provided for you to show his love, and his grace? You can't control whether they'll be transformed, but you can control your own heart, your own posture. And God calls us to be a people of love, to show him to the world. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.